This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello? Hey, David, it's Jonathan calling. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well. Hey, thanks for being willing to do this. Make sure to keep listening after the interview to find out how to win a free book by this week's guest. Our guest today is senior pastor of Midway Presbyterian Church, and he has been there since 2003. He is a writer, an author. He's authored or edited over 20 books and numerous essays. He writes regularly for Place for Truth. He's a a husband to a wonderful woman, Anne, and, and he's been a good friend to me. So, David Hall, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be with you always. I wanted to talk to you today about the pastoral implications of having a confessional statement, and then also to talk a little bit about your own journey into confessional orthodoxy. So let's just begin by asking this. Um, You're a pastor of a church that is governed in some measure by a confession, and what difference does that make? Well, a couple. One one, one of the things that, that I was taught early on about confessions is that they were um, appropriate standards irrespective of any individual. So when I preach, for example, if my, my, if my sermon or if in a, in a Bible study, if my teaching and substance is astray or contrary to the confession, uh, I have to give an answer for that. And that's a good thing for every pastor. So there are norms and standards. There are professional standards and protocols for doctors or attorneys educators, and uh, we have those in the ministry as well. So the local church, I think, learns to trust uh, that what they're hearing week in and week out is not merely the opinion uh, of one person. And the second real practical use is, uh, particularly, I think, for the, for younger ministers, um, if you want to know, you know, what's true, and uh, you come up with some exegesis or some interpretation of Scripture, you uh, you might think you're the first to discover something. It's actually a, a helpful, friendly tool to have a confession, which is like having a collection of great grandparents who love you and who have walked much further down the road than you uh, that you can run things by. So confessions provide that. They provide advice. They provide help. They provide assistance. And as I've said in, in some columns on PFT and in other places, uh, to the degree, and, and as long as they're biblical, they should be our friends and should be welcome. But what about, what about the charge that some some would make that confessions and being bound by a confession actually kind of hamstring your reading and teaching of the Bible? Has that resonated at all with with uh, your own experience or your own observation? Uh, yes and no, um, and that I, I know that sounds cliche, but but yes, in in that there is a limitation. But I would add that's a good limitation. So the, the fact that there are inherent limitations to what we publicize from the pulpit or from the lectern is not inherently a bad thing. To the contrary, I think it's a helpful thing. So if, you, if you're looking for an academic freedom in a character that doesn't have any limitations uh, and that is free to explore heresy, then you're going to feel bound and chafed uh, to a confession. But no... 
uh, it doesn't bind us in, in any bad way except to interpret Scripture as Scripture interprets itself. I find in the the Westminster Confession, for example, the one I'm most familiar with, but the other Protestant confessions, the, <clears throat> the London uh, Declaration, the, the if you go back to the Belgic or the Heidelberg Catechism, all these marvelously scriptural documents. So, uh, you know, if they're walking along the same road and saying the same thing as what the Scripture says, uh, that's not a limitation. That's actually a helpful thing. By the way, I'd add to, upon reflection, I'd add a, a third real practical value to having confessions in local churches, and that is that it makes the faith public and accessible to all on a level playing field. Uh, the pastor doesn't have, in other words, the right <clears throat> to hold to privileged interpretations. But if anybody wants to know what our church believes, for example, I can give them a copy of the Westminster Confession. And in most versions we use, uh, there's about a three-to-one, maybe a four-to-one ratio of scriptural text to the confession text on every page. So we can show people how abundantly scriptural our confession is. And, uh, you know, if people want assurance, want to know what we hold, we're able to put something in people's hands or point them to a link and say, this is what we all do believe, and, and everybody knows, everybody has equal access. It's a, it's a good, good thing to have a public document. So you've you've talked about the benefits for yourself and 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 as a pastor, and then also the benefits for the the congregation. It sounds to me like you would probably advise someone if they were moving away from your church, moving to a new area, got a new job. You would. It sounds like you would advise them. Listen, there's benefit in you attaching yourself to a church that has a public and clear and historic confession of faith. Yeah, it's it's a plus. It saves people time. If a family with three or four children moves out to the Midwest uh, and to a new community, uh, or to the Northeast, or to the Pacific Coast, uh, or even to other places in the Southeast, uh, you're going to save your members some time if you give them some tips. Um, you know, I, I've compared a confession to a cookbook. Uh, if I have friends who are going to San Diego, for example, I, I will immediately say, oh, you should go to this restaurant. You should try this. You should try this. That's the voice of experience. Everybody will agree with our taste. But the confession is like that. We don't just, you know, mix the ingredients and throw them on the table. We follow certain recipes. And to the degree that you can help people relocating, find churches quickly, that's that's a pastoral gift. David, I know I know a little bit about your story because of previous conversations we've had, but I wonder if you could talk about that. You, uh, how is it that you arrived as a minister in a confessional uh, setting? Kicking and screaming is a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I started attending a, a Reformed Presbyterian seminary in the mid seventies after having been at Labrie, and I went there and entered and as a first-year seminarian in a Reformed Presbyterian seminary as an Arminian, dispensationalist, charismatic. Uh, and I think I was even on a scholarship from my Methodist church from the female equivalent of the Masonic order. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I That's... Didn't, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a place I, that I, I shouldn't have been. I stood up, introduced myself at convocation, and the whole congregation laughed, and I didn't really know what was funny. I had a Schofield Bible. It was the only, only Bible I had. I was a fairly new Christian. But uh, the whole idea of uh, a body of truth uh, that is 
established and fixed um, was a, a pretty new concept to me. So I fought through when I was in seminary, and even after that, I fought through major chapters and paragraphs of the Westminster Confession. I, I, I don't. My wife and I, neither of us, have any Presbyterian relatives as far back as we go. She was from a Catholic family. I was from a Methodist family, and so this whole thing was was foreign to us. But I kept being challenged, and I think this is the, the simple and only question that's important, with, with this query, are these things biblical? And uh, indeed, I, I came to the conclusion, I fought uh, the Lord. Some people sing the great hymn, I sought the Lord. I, I, my mind is more like, I fought the Lord, <laughs> and I lost at every, every battle, uh, and he won. His sovereignty really is taught, his predestining work, his electing work, uh, the strong atoning work of Christ on the cross for specific sinners, that grace that is so strong and his preserving love. All of those wonderful doctrines of grace are really in Scripture. And um, if, if we're faced with the question week in, week out, day in and day out, what do you believe? Do you, do you follow the Lord's word or are you inventing a system of doctrine? Uh, the true believer whose heart is held in the hand of the Good Shepherd has got to come to a place where he or she says, I want to follow my Lord wherever it takes me. And that's been my honesty, honest trek over some 40 years, and uh, we end up being Reformed Presbyterians. Do you advise people in your congregation who are new Christians, as you were, um, do, do you advise them to study the the Westminster Confession? Is that part of how you use the confession in your church? Well, we, we advise them to study books of the Bible. And uh, as you do that, maybe at a later time, that's probably not the first thing we advise people to do. I don't think it is. So we encourage people. My preaching is sequential expository preaching. Uh, most of our Sunday schools and Bible studies at our church are that way. Um, and over time, then, what, what we find is that people usually, after a couple of years or so, that say, hey, this is great. Now, if, if I want to put the pieces together, if I want to tie the threads up, then we'll, we'll, we'll encourage people uh, to study the confessions. There's been some great progress just over my lifetime of ministry. 30, 40 years ago, you could hardly find a copy of, of a harmony of the Protestant confessions. Now there's probably a half dozen out there. And those show the deep channel of Protestant orthodoxy, and there's, those are easily accessible. So these are helpful guides. It depends on the person and what they want to study and how much time they have to devote to it. Can, you, you mentioned a couple of resources uh, and, and the growing number of resources. Are, are there any particular books that have helped you in your understanding of your own confessional tradition or, or even books that you'd recommend to others who are, who are new to the mainstream Protestant confessions? Sure. The, the G.I. Williamson book, I think it's a little series. The, the, uh, I think it's called A Discussion Guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith is very accessible. G.I. Williamson's book, uh, PNR does it. It's very accessible. It's very helpful. We use it with, with hundreds of people. Uh, I, I think some of the works that R.C. Sproul has done, Chosen by God, for example, is very helpful on a specific topic if, if you want to study that. Uh, and But the harmony of the confessions are, uh, there's there's a number of different volumes that go back to that. I know Joel Beakey has edited one, and those are all very helpful. 
David, it's always a delight to talk with you. Thanks for making time in your schedule, and thanks for um, all your comments today. Always good to talk to the master. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast from placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. This week, we are offering The Practice of Confessional Subscription by David Hall to a few of our listeners. Go to the podcast page at placefortruth.org to enter for a chance to win. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.